John 5, 1 through 17. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate of Pool, an Arabic called Bethesda, which has five roof colonnades. And these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into a pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus, Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus said to him, to him in the temple, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This is your first time, and I want to especially welcome you. We're glad you're here. And um, I hope you feel like this is a safe place for you to explore uh, what you believe about Jesus and Christianity. And hopefully you feel that this is also a safe place for you to struggle um, with your own brokenness and sin. So welcome, and uh, please come find me afterwards. I'd love to meet you. We have been studying the book of John this semester, and here's what we've been looking at, basically the theme that we're tracing. Remember, the book of John was written for one reason. John tells us in chapter 21 the purpose of writing his book, and that is that we might believe in Jesus, and through believing in him, we might find life in his name. So that's what we've been looking at all semester. Who is Jesus, and how can we find life in his name? And we're going to do that again as we come to John chapter 5 tonight. Before we pray, let me ask God to help us. Let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, we call upon you because we acknowledge that we need your help, uh, that without your help we cannot think rightly about uh, the Bible and about this passage, can't understand it and apply it to our hearts. Uh, we are that needy, you tell us. And so we ask you to come through your spirit and to help us to take these words off the page and put them in our hearts and challenge us and convict us and encourage us and change us and show us something about grace and who you are and more about who we are. And Father, we ask that you would do those things. Uh, would you help us to clear our minds? A lot going on, a lot of tests, and the last couple of weeks and this week, lots of projects, and it's easy to get distracted, but help us to just for this next uh, 30 minutes, just to focus and concentrate and really hear from you. Uh, would you help us in Jesus' name? Amen. Over the summer, uh, there was like a month, four-week period where I had some pretty scary things going on with my vision. It actually had gone back five years before that. I had started like three times a year. I would have these really scary episodes with my vision. And basically, here's what, it would, here's what would happen. And it started 
this past summer it picked up in frequency, and so I got really concerned. But basically about 30 minutes after I would uh, exercise, uh, my peripheral vision would completely go out and go away, and it was hazy and fuzzy, and I had a blind spot right in the center of my vision. And after about 20 minutes of that, it would go away. And because it had, again, increased in frequency, I got very concerned and obviously went to the doctor and I saw an ophthalmologist and he did a full workup on me and on my eyes and ran a battery of eye tests and I was diagnosed with ocular migraines. Some of you might have those. Uh, If you don't know what an ocular migraine is, it's basically a migraine without the headache. It affects only your eyes. And I tell you that story because many of us, we have a blind spot in our vision when it comes to seeing our deepest needs. If I were to ask you tonight, as you sit here, what is your greatest and deepest need at the moment? Some of you might say, my deepest need is to get accepted into medical school or the grad school that I'm longing to get into, or my deepest need is chronic pain. My deepest need is to get out of this relationship that I'm in because it's affecting every single area of my life. My deepest need is to get a job when I graduate or to bring healing to the relationship between me and my parents. You would say it's those things that are my deepest need tonight. And Jesus comes in this passage and says, I care about those things deeply. I want to be involved in those things. I want to help you with those things. But they're not your deepest need as you sit here tonight. John chapter 5, we read about a miracle that Jesus performs on a lame man. And anytime we read the miracles in the Bible, one of their main purposes It's to point us beyond the physical to show us the true and deep need of our heart. Think about it. All throughout the Gospels, if you have read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you might come to a healing and you see these people coming to Jesus with all sorts of things and they're saying, Jesus, heal me. And then Jesus says something crazy and that's what he's kind of doing in verse 14. If you look there, says something like... Your sins are forgiven. Take up your mat and walk or go and sin no more. He'll say things like that. And you're kind of like, okay, well, thank you for that. But I have a huge need and I need to walk. I'm glad my sins are forgiven. But it's my legs. They are a much bigger problem. So what's the deal with go and sin no more? Well, Jesus is getting at and saying that our main problem in life is never suffering. It's our sin. And the purpose of the healings and the miracles, therefore, are to drive us deep. Deep into our hearts to see what is there and to see our true need for Jesus. Because it's only as we go deep that we're ever going to experience the healing that we so desperately need and that we all, if we're honest, desperately want deep down in our hearts. John chapter 5 tells us that healing comes 
three ways if you look at the outline printed before you. It comes when we recognize our condition, when we listen to his question, and lastly, when we rejoice in the future. Let's look at number one, recognize your condition. Look at verses one through five. This is a very interesting passage to me. I've always enjoyed it and found it very interesting. But basically, there is this pool at Bethesda, and evidently there was a rumor going around that the waters contained some sort of healing power. And the word had gotten out, because if you look at the text, it says not just one or two people are here. There are a multitude of people that need to be healed. So you've got people that are deaf and blind and mute and lame, and they're coming to this pool in hopes that they might be healed. And Jesus walks on up on this multitude, and out of everyone there, I don't know how many are there, but a multitude, a lot of people, and out of everyone, Jesus finds this one man, and he goes up to him. And this man has a desperate condition. Look at the passage. He's been laying on a mat for 38 years. Why, out of all the people that Jesus could have gone up to, why does he go up to this man? Well, we can't be sure, but here's one thing that we do know. It's that in choosing this man in his desperate condition, 38 years of being paralyzed and laying on a mat, it teaches us something about Christianity. It shows us something about the true nature of the gospel. Look at the passage. Look at this man. I want you to be drawn into this story. This man has done absolutely nothing. All he is doing is lying there. He can't go to Bottle Tree with a friend for coffee. He can't go on walks with people at Lamar Park. He can't lead a Bible study. He can't go to a Bible study. He can't go to a campus ministry meeting. He can't go to church. He's doing nothing. And so here's his testimony on testimony night. Here's his spiritual resume. I laid on a mat. You got to get this. I laid on a mat. For 38 years. And then one day, Jesus walks by, and out of all the people, he comes up to me and he heals me. Friends, that is a picture of salvation. That is a picture of what it's like for you to be rescued. It's a picture of the gospel. There is this lame man who hasn't done one thing to recommend him to Jesus. Not one thing to win Jesus' affections. And yet Jesus loves him and moves towards him and heals him. The Bible teaches that Christianity from beginning to end is grace. If you are a Christian here tonight, you are a Christian because Jesus loved you first. That's it. 
There was a story about a month ago in January. You ought to look it up. It's pretty interesting. It's a true story. I couldn't believe it when I was reading it. But it happened in Arizona, and it was a two-year-old girl that was playing with her mother. And the two-year-old was running around, and her mother was chasing her around the yard. And then all of a sudden, the two-year-old steps on the cover, the plastic cover of a septic tank, and the cover completely gives way. The two-year-old falls into the septic tank and is submerged in four feet of filth, completely submerged. The mom is completely freaking out, yelling, screaming. A neighbor comes running. A man comes running from his home, jumps into the septic tank, and looks for her for four minutes before he finds this little girl in this filth in the septic tank, pulls her out of the septic tank, and by that time, a nurse had arrived on the scene, and she performs mouth-to-mouth CPR and brings this young girl back to life. True story. That's the picture of what Jesus has done for you. We are completely covered, the Bible says, our hearts with filth. We're drowning. And our only hope is if someone comes and gets into that filth with us, Jesus, and pulls us out of that and actually breathes new life into us and brings us from death to life. Do you see what this means? Think about that. If you're in Christ tonight, you bring nothing to him. There's nothing that you're bringing to the table. You add nothing to him. You have nothing that he needs. You're not on his fantasy football chart. And most of us, We would not say it out loud, but in our hearts, oftentimes we think Christianity is lucky to have me. God is lucky to have me on his team. And we rub up against a passage like this, and here's what it shows us. That until we're convinced that we're the lame man on the mat that offers nothing to Jesus then you'll never truly worship Jesus. Jesus will never make you smile, and you'll never really sing because you'll think that you are offering and bringing something to him and that you're good enough. Until you are able to look around this campus and look at everyone around you and say, we're all the same, Until you can say that, then you'll continually build up self-righteousness and bitterness in your heart because you'll think that you're better than other people. And the gospel says no, that we're all the same. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Until you're convinced that it's all grace from beginning to end, then you'll always be filled with anxiety and you'll lack assurance of your salvation because you'll always wonder if you've done enough. 
and if you're actually pleasing to God. Friends, here it is. Christianity is about not how tightly you hold on to Jesus. It's about how tightly Jesus holds on to you. It's not about how tightly, think about how freeing that is. Isn't that the best news in the world? That your faith is not about how strong your faith is. Not how tightly you can hold on to him. Because sometimes you feel like you're hanging by a thread and you think Jesus doesn't love you. No, that's not Christianity. Christianity is how tightly Jesus holds on to you. And his grip is always the same and he'll never let you be snatched out of his hands. Another way to say it is it's not about you working your way up to Jesus. He has come down to you. It's the gospel of grace. And that's why it's called grace. Because it has everything to do with him. And it's something that we do not deserve. That's the first thing. Healing comes when we recognize our condition. Secondly, when we listen to his question. Look at verse 6. Don't you love this? Jesus asked this man, do you want to be healed? (laughs) Of course! But remember the gospel of John, if you've been coming this semester, it's always the crazy question from Jesus that's the point of the passage. Remember John chapter 2? The mother, his mother comes up and says, hey, we're out of wine. Jesus says, what's that have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. The point of the passage. John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes and says Jesus is a great teacher, and Jesus says, you must be born again. That sounds crazy, the point of the passage. John chapter 4, he's at a well at the middle of the day. This woman has a jar waiting to get water, and Jesus says, are you thirsty? Well, I wouldn't be at a well if I wasn't thirsty. The point of the passage. John chapter 5, do you want to be healed? Yes! Jesus is not being offensive. He's not being foolish. Do you see what Jesus is doing? This man is at a pool and he's looking at this pool and he's hoping against hope. And we don't know if that's supernaturally people were healed there from time to time or if it was just maybe something someone made up and it was superstition. But the man was at the pool and he was hoping against hope in the pool to heal him. And Jesus is saying, the Son of God is standing right before you. And so here's what he means by his statement. Do you really want to get better? Why are you trusting in a pool? When I am standing right in front of you, do you really want to be healed? I want to heal you. I want to heal you physically. I want to take care of your legs. But the problem is way deeper than your legs. I want to heal your heart. Because that's your deepest need. And I am the only one that can heal you. Do you want to be healed? Do you really want to be healed? That's what he's getting at. Friends, Jesus looks at every single one of us tonight and he asks us that exact question. Do you want to be healed? Translation. Do you really want to give up your sin? 
You know, some of you are sick and tired of being controlled by other people's opinion. You're sick and tired of wrestling with your addictions and you want to be done with them. And Jesus looks at you and says, do you really? You see, sin, one of the reasons that we are broken, there's other reasons and many reasons, but one reason that we are broken is because we choose sin. And can I shoot it straight? We choose sin because we like it. We know we should give up our gossip. But we love the feeling of having power and knowing something that other people don't know. We want to give up our sexual sin and our abuse of alcohol. But we love the way it makes us feel. We want to give up that relationship that we're in that we know is not good and we should get out of, but we love the feeling of the security of being in a relationship. We know we should give up our greed and that we're greedy, but we love that feeling of having things that are better than other people and having more than someone else. We know we should forgive our family and our friends that have wronged us. But we love that feeling of being in control and holding things over, even if it's not verbally, in our hearts, holding it over them. Because we know that if we forgive them, that we got to pay the debt. And it scares us to death to think that we might actually lose power over the people that have hurt us. You see, it's giving up those things that is really scary because there is part of us that can't imagine life without them. But friends, Jesus comes and he says, the only way you can be healed is if you start to deal with those things and give them up. Do you really want to be healed tonight? Really? Then Jesus says, come to him and ask him to take away those things. Come to him and stop trying to deal with those things on your own power and strength and gut it out by sheer willpower. Root them out of your life. And instead, Jesus says, come to me and deal with those things before a loving and holy Savior. Friends, you don't need new friends. You don't need new circumstances. You don't need more wisdom. You don't need something else. You don't need better circumstances or another chance. What all of us need is to go to Jesus and let him begin to heal us of our deepest need. That's the second thing. Healing comes... Not only when we recognize our condition, listen to the question, his question. Lastly, rejoice in the future. Look at verses 28 and 29. We didn't read that far because for the sake of time, but I find it very interesting as it follows this passage. I'll read it. Do not marvel at this, 
For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? The purpose of the miracles, the purpose of the miracle we see here, one of the purposes is to show us our future. The miracles in the New Testament by Jesus and the apostles were never just only raw displays of power. They weren't only just to convince people of the truth. Think about it. If they wanted to convince people that Christianity was true, they could have done lots of things that were way more convincing than this. They could have flown in the air or they could have written their name with their finger in the sky. They could have done all sorts of things. If that was the goal, why don't they do it? Well, look at all of the miracles and notice that all of them do what? They restore people. They relieve their suffering. They make people whole again. Why? Well, because the miracles, one of the purposes is to point us to the day when Jesus is going to return and make all things new, including you, if you belong to him. And so what does that teach us about God and about what he thinks of lameness and blindness and suffering and death? Well, it shows us that God did not create those things. How do we know? Genesis chapter 1 and 2, those things weren't in the world. Genesis chapter 3 comes and humanity turns its back on God. And from that moment on, the world, in a sense, was blown to bits. And the point is this, that God did not invent sickness and death. And he hates them every much He hates them just as much as you do. And we know that because that's not the way things are supposed to be. And God is coming back in the person of Jesus a second time. And he's going to deal with all of those things. And restore things back to the way that they were supposed to be. And that's why we see Jesus healing people. And causing them to see and to talk and to hear and to walk. Because that's the way things are supposed to be. Do you see what hope that gives? Think about the hope that that gives. The lame man points to something that if you believe makes it possible for you to deal with whatever it is that you're going through right now tonight. Maybe it's a broken friendship. Or your family is completely torn apart. Well, this gives you hope because there's a promise that one day those, as the hymn says, those severed relationships will be knitted up and healed. How does someone in a, uh, live in a wheelchair their entire life and have hope? Well, because they know that one day they'll leap for joy. They will walk when Jesus comes and restores their body. And gives them a new one. How do you handle loss? Maybe the death of a loved one or someone within your own family. Well, because you have the hope that there is going to be a day when death will be no more. 
Friends, if you have that kind of hope, you can face anything. The Ironman triathlon, if you know much about that, it is probably one of the most difficult athletic events in the world. Let me give you a snapshot. You swim 2.4 miles, you bike 112 miles, and then you run a marathon. That's one event in one, one time, one day, 26.2 miles. Imagine how difficult that would be to do on your own, but now imagine carrying someone with you. Well, that's exactly what Richard Holt did, or Hoyt, a few years ago as a 59-year-old man. You see, he has a son who's 37 years old and who has cerebral palsy and is unable to compete on his own. And so he carries his son in a triathlon. They made a raft and they put a belt to harness around him and hook the raft up. And he puts his son in the back of the raft and swims 2.4 miles. Gets out of the water and then puts his son on the back of his bike and pedals 112 miles. After that portion of the triathlon, he gets out and they have this special chair and he puts his son in this chair and pushes him 26.2 miles. And they finish the race 12 hours later. Friends, I tell you that because that's John chapter 5. John chapter 5 shows us that all of us have been so crippled by sin that our only hope for healing is if we have our Father, our Heavenly Father, take us in His arms and carry us all the way until we cross the finish line. You see, it's only when we let Jesus do it all are we able to experience the healing that we so desperately need and that we're so desperately looking for. Let's pray. Father, would you, through this passage, remind us of our need for you and our helplessness And may that not lead us to despair, but may that lead us to worship. May that lead us to hope and to love you more. May that lead us to treat people with respect and dignity, no matter who they are. We also pray that you would give us the courage to deal with the sin in our life and to really want to be healed. And lastly, would you give us hope? I know there's lots of things going on in this room. And would you bring us hope through this passage by showing us that you long to bring restoration and renewal to all things? Father, be with us as we sing, and may we worship and be thankful for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.